When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, everybody. It's Drags. It's Wednesday, January 9th, and time for the Patriots Divisional Round playoff game against the Los Angeles Chargers. It's episode 279 of Patriots Beat on the CLNS Media Network. Find us at clnsmedia.com and of course follow us on Twitter at Patriots CLNS. The Patriots obviously finished up the regular season 11-5. and They earned the right to a first round bye last weekend and they watched the Los Angeles Chargers beat the Baltimore Ravens, hang on for dear life, actually, 23-17. to That was on Sunday. Of course, the Houston Texans were eliminated on Saturday against Indianapolis uh, down in Houston. That meant that the winner of the Chargers and the Ravens game would uh, move on and advance and play the uh, New England Patriots in the divisional round, which will be this Sunday afternoon, 1 o'clock at Gillette Stadium. Here to talk about it all is one of the great ones on the Patriots beat, Doug Kide. He, of course, covers the team for Nesson and Nesson.com. Welcome back, Dougie Fresh. How are you? I'm doing great, Trags. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How was your bye week? Uh, it was good. It went by really fast, though. Uh, we were only at the stadium for two days, so I feel like that made it go by even quicker, but we're back at it, and I am, I'm ready for this week. I'm pretty excited for this week's game. I am too. I think it's going to be very competitive. And uh, uh, before we break down the X's and O's of why we both, I think, feel uh, that way and feel like it's going to be a pretty competitive game at Gillette, let's get the annual Josh McDaniels melodrama out of the way. Uh, your take on his comments from Tuesday's conference call, we were both on it, his declaration that the quote-unquote book is closed on him moving on from New England after this season. What did you think? I will believe that he doesn't have his fingers stuck in the pages when the Cleveland Browns hire a head coach. Until then, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not so certain just because what we saw last year with Josh McDaniels, he committed to the Colts before coming back to the Patriots. Now he's committed to the Patriots. Uh, what's that phrase? Fool me once. Shame on you. Fool me twice. Shame on me. Um, I, I'm, I just want to see the Browns fill their head coaching position first because I think there would be reason for him to be interested in that. Uh, the Canton Repository wrote that he was interested in that job. He said today on the conference call that there's been no contact between him and the Browns yet, but there's still time for that. And I, like I said, I just want to see that job get filled before I totally believe that McDaniels is coming back this season as offensive coordinator. I am with you on that, Doug, and it's not that we don't think that Josh McDaniels, A, is qualified, or B, is a good guy, 
Um, it's because of what happened last year with Indianapolis and, and full props to Phil Perry of, uh, NBC Sports yeah. Boston. He came out directly and asked, have you spoken with the Browns about their head coaching vacancy? And then he moved on, uh, and asked whether or not, um, you know, he thought that what happened last year with Indianapolis had impacted him uh, now, and that's when he gave uh, the book is closed comment to uh, Phil and all of us on the comp- uh, conference call. And I, I just, you wonder how much of a distraction, if at all, it is internally in the organization this time, you know, this time around and more so than at other years where uh, McDaniels and other coordinators, you name it, uh, have, uh, you know, face Matt Patricia for one, uh, have dealt with this. Yeah, I'm not sure. I, it's, I would probably assume it's about the same. And I mean, for, for people concerned about that, I mean, ever since Josh McDaniels came back, he's been rumored for head coaching jobs. I don't think he took any interviews back in 2012, but pretty much ever since that point, I think he has been taking interviews during these, uh, during these weeks before the Patriots actually begin in the playoffs. So, it hasn't hindered the Patriots in 2014 and 2016. Uh, we'll see how it is this year, but it's kind of amazing how quickly NFL news moves because I think it was on Sunday, Mike Florio of Pro Football Talk reported that the Patriots expected McDaniels to leave and that if he did, then Cliff Kingsbury would be a candidate for offensive coordinator. Now we're, what, three days later, McDaniels is sticking around and Cliff Kingsbury is the one with an NFL head coaching job. So it's it's a crazy business that, that we're trying to cover here. Do you think that's because they feel Kingsbury is more reliable, for lack of a better word? It, it could also be. That's a really good question because I don't think that the Cardinals reached out uh, to try to interview McDaniels. There's been no reports of that. Um, it's possible that they knew he wouldn't be interested, or it's possible that they just didn't believe what he would do after last year with the Colts. And I'm sure that some teams think that, you know, McDaniels is sticking around as the heir apparent to Bill Belichick. So, you know, why waste our time when there's only so much time to interview these guys? Uh, the Kingsbury thing definitely surprised me, though. I'm actually writing about him right now um, just because he does have the history with the Patriots. Uh, but, I mean, the guy went 35-40 and 40 at Texas Tech. He got fired by the Red Raiders. He was going to become USC's offensive coordinator, and then all of a sudden, multiple teams were interested in him as a as a head coach. So I don't know really what that's all about. I think teams are just really trying to find their own Sean McVay at this point, and they'll go pretty much anywhere to find him. And you know, it, Josh McDaniels is what forty one, forty two years old, right. and he he might be a couple years too old for some of these teams who do want to find that next young hot guy. Well, you know, um, not everybody can have the headhunter that Cliff Kingsbury has in Tom Brady, you know. <laughs> Very true. I mean, That's Tom really Brady's true. comments, uh, you know, we laugh about it, both of us. But um, obviously, when Tom Brady is saying he's got uh, a tremendous football mind, you know, with some teams... That's good enough. I mean, if, if you're, uh, if you impress the, one of the greatest quarterbacks in the history of the game, um, with your offensive knowledge and your, um, your 
concepts, maybe, you know, a, the right environment in Arizona presents itself with a young quarterback like Josh Rosen. I just, you know, I wonder, uh, whether or not, uh, what happened at Texas Tech, uh, is a, a truer indication of how he can handle a program. Yeah, it, it is. I don't know. It's, it's very interesting that I, I was actually having a conversation with some of the other beat writers and, one of them was kind of wondering why McDaniels keeps being brought up as a head coaching, uh, you know, candidate just because of his failures in Denver. And I was like, I brought up, you know, Matt LaFleur and, and Cliff Kingsbury. I mean, like, I think that Josh McDaniels is 10 times more qualified than some of these guys who are getting hired right now. So if I were a team, I would reach out to McDaniels despite what he did to the Colts last year, uh, just because I think that, you know, being a part of five Super Bowl winning teams and everything that he's done as offensive coordinator as the Patriots should be enough on his resume to, to get more interviews. But I don't know. I think that some teams might just want to wait and see what happens until after Bill Belichick retires at this point. Because, I mean, McDaniels, I, I was joking that he's kind of aged himself out of this business, but he is still very young for a head coach candidate, uh, especially when you look at, you know, some of the older head coaches in the NFL. Bruce Arians just got hired. So, McDaniels has got years and years and years where he can become a head coach. And at this point, I can't say that I totally blame other teams for maybe waiting it out at this point because they don't want to be left at the altar like the Colts were. How do you think Josh McDaniels has done this year? I actually think he's he's done a good job. I know that some fans, uh, maybe some of the media, are kind of down on him this year. But I think that it's been a trying year in general on offense. I mean, you had Josh Gordon for a spell there. Before and after that, the Patriots have been low on wide receivers. Uh, they had to deal with Josh, uh, Julian Edelman's suspension. Sonny Michelle and Rex Burkhead were injured for a spell there. So you had Cordero Patterson playing running back. And through all of this, the Patriots' offense has been pretty productive. Uh, the Patriots still won 11-5. and five, And, um, you know, towards the end of the season there, I would say the Patriots' offense was a bigger issue than their defense. But... I don't know if you you point the blame there at Josh McDaniels or Tom Brady or the offensive weapons, but all in all, in a trying year, I think the Patriots' offense has has you know kept its head above water here. So, do you think anything that might happen in the postseason will impact him either immediately or down the road as a head coach candidate? Um, no, I don't think so. I think that you know next year. And when it's December 2019, January 2020, I think we're still going to be talking about Josh McDaniels interviewing for teams or, you know, I don't know where the Patriots will stand at that point. But I do think that he will still continue to get opportunities. Uh, I'm not sure if those teams will hire him. I don't know if he'll take them. Right. I thought it was interesting they turned down the Bengals this year. Um, just because, and quite frankly, no offense, I, I can't <laughs> blame them for turning down the Bengals on that job. I cannot blame him either. And and it's not because yeah. the Bengals are a terrible team. It's the functional structure of the organization. And, you know, if you go to a team like the Browns, and the irony here is, you know, the Browns are considered, you know, one of the uh, obviously landmark franchises of the NFL with, you know, Paul Br- going all the way back to the days of Paul Brown. But they are a much more progressive franchise uh, certainly with a quarterback in Baker Mayfield 
There's a lot of potential there, I think, for Josh McDaniels to run his own program. If he were to go to Cincinnati, it's all Mike Brown, Katie Blackburn, and Troy Blackburn, and uh, to a degree, Duke Tobin. And that's it. And you don't have nearly the freedom that you would have uh, if you went to a place like Cleveland. And that's essentially, you know, and I'm really boiling it down to nuts and bolts here, but that's essentially why a McDaniels would turn that down. I also think it would just be such a culture shock to go from the Patriots to, I looked this up, I think, for a recent mailbag. The Patriots have 24 people in their player personnel department, and the Bengals, including all of the, you know, the members of Mike Brown's family that you just mentioned, have only 12 members of their yeah, player personnel department. Right. And that includes, like, video interns and, you know, like very minor people in that department. They only have two scouts. They have two... Um, directors of scouting. So really they only have four people in their scouting department. And I mean, it would take you five minutes to read all the scouts on the Patriots media guide right now. So I think that that alone, just the amount of money that the Bengals are pumping into their organization versus the Patriots, the amount of resources the Patriots have versus the Bengals, I think it would be very difficult to go from a program run by Bill Belichick to a team run by Mike Brown. Uh, I think that's an excellent point and a very fair point. Speaking with the outstanding Patriots beat writer for Nesson and Nesson.com, of course, Doug Kide. Every time we see an opponent, Doug, like the Chargers dominate a team like the Ravens um, the week before, we wonder how in the world are the Patriots going to handle Joey Bosa and Melvin Ingram on either side of the defensive line, and how will they handle the interior rush, um, even if Brandon Mebane is not available, he's uh, with his um, ill daughter. Um, then Tom Brady comes out with the Patriots offense and slices and dices up a defense like San Diego, or like Los Angeles, to shreds. Think that'll happen again this week? Well, I don't think that, that Ingram and Bosa will make a big impact in this game, just because, and maybe this is finally the week that it happens, but it feels like before every big match of the Patriots face, we're always talking about these premier pass rushers. What are they going to do about Vaughn Miller? What are right. they going to do about J.J. Watt? What are they going to do about Whitney Merciless and Jeffy John Clowney and, and all these guys? And none of them ever make an impact. They, they all have disappearing acts once the game begins. And I can't help but think that the same thing's going to happen in this game. And that's not because I think that, you know, Trent Brown and Marcus Gannon are the best offensive tackles in the league or anything. Um, the Patriots offensive line has done a good job at, at as a whole this season, I think they've let up the third least pressure rate of, of any offensive line in the league. It might be even lower than that. They might be first or second. But Tom Brady just gets rid of the ball so quickly that a lot of the time these pass rushers are neutralized. And I can't help but think that the same thing's going to happen with Ingram and Bosa. And that doesn't mean to me that, that Brady's going to carve up the Chargers defense. But I don't think that the Patriots, Brady, and Belichick will allow it to be Ingram and Bosa who disrupts things. I think that if anything, they'll make it be Desmond King and, and some of the other, you know, um, uh, the, their safety, um, the, the guy from Florida, Darwin James. Yeah. I think that they're going to force other guys to be the ones to beat them. And I think they will, you know, put a lot of resources in the blocking Ingram and Bosa. I think that uh, Brady will definitely try to get rid of that ball as quickly as possible. And he's done a good job of getting rid of the ball quickly all season. And that's why that pressure rate 
is so well this season. So the last time that a, a pair of edge rushers really made a difference in the playoffs against the Patriots, of course, was DeMarcus Ware and Vaughn Miller. And that mm-hmm. was because that game, uh, the 2016 AFC Championship, was in Denver. And that was, of course, because uh, the Patriots finished the season very slowly, losing <laughs> very poorly, uh, losing, I believe it was, four of their final uh, six games uh, back three years ago. And that AFC Championship game was in Denver. But it's very rare that, you know, even a, a pair of terrific uh, edge rushers like Joey Bosa and Melvin Ingram have that kind of game at Gillette because they don't have the ability necessarily to jump the snap count. Yeah, and I mean that that 2015 Patriots team was also kind of a mess. Uh, by that point in the AFC Championship game, Nate Solder was on injured reserve. I think maybe some of the other pieces on the offensive line were kind of banged up as well. But really, a big part of that game as well was the fact that the Patriots running backs were Stephen Jackson, James White, and Brandon Bolden. So there was really no threat whatsoever for the Patriots to run in that game. So the Broncos really could just pin their ears back with Von Miller and DeMarcus Ware to rush after Brady. And I, I know that I'm kind of the eternal optimist on the beat. And when you've been covering a team that goes 12-4 and four and it's won you know, two Super Bowls, been to three in the time that I've been covering them, that's kind of natural to become that, that ever-optimist. But I do think that because of the Patriots' running game this season, it is a little bit different this year. And I know that that 2015 team wound up with a better record, but by the end of the season – They were struggling really because of injuries, and that hasn't happened with this team. I think that if the the Chargers come out this week and really try to pin their ears back and rush the the, the Patriots, then I think they'll just turn to Sonny Michelle, Rex Burkhead, uh, Cordell Patterson, James White, and get after them. And like you said, it also makes a big difference if this game's at home, and the Patriots have been a completely different team at home this season they, they're really one of the best teams in the you NFL think? when it comes to being at home <laughs> yeah I mean it's just it's unbelievable if you look at even like the stat splits I think that their passer rating is like 10 or 15 points higher their passer rating allowed is 10 or 15 points lower it's just unbelievable how much better they are at home well and the other thing uh and we saw this last week and you know it was kind of the topic du jour um, as Tony Romo was talking about it during the broadcast and then the uh, first couple of days of the week here as we preview uh, the L.A. Chargers coming to Gillette, um, their three-safety look, um, which is a big part of their base defense. Um, Jaleel Adai, uh, Adrian Phillips, and you already mentioned uh, Derwin James, who is the uh, rookie out of Florida State who could draw some of the Gronk coverage. Uh, but the point there is when you have three safeties on the field as part of your base, um, they're the Chargers and Anthony Lynn and um, their uh, defensive coordinator Gus Bradley are trying to compensate for their lack of uh, linebacker depth because they have three linebackers who are injured. Um, you know, those guys did a pretty good job stopping the run uh, against the Ravens last week and and containing Lamar Jackson. I'm just curious to get your read on whether or not you think that same type of look will be as effective against Sony Michelle and James White if they, like you know, you uh, correctly anticipate, could get a big um, shoulder, a big load in this game. I don't think it will be as effective. Um, I think that you know one of the reasons why they came out in that that quarters and, and dime package against the Ravens was just that. You know, Lamar Jackson is, is such a running threat, and Lamar Jackson is of a slighter build. 
So uh, they they aren't really they weren't doing a lot of I think you know power running in that game. And if the Patriots come out and they put you know Gronk on the field, they put James Devlin on the field, and they put Sony Michelle on the field or, or Rex Burkhead, I don't know if you can combat that with a with a six or seven defensive back group um, just because there's going to be so many big bodies on the field for the Patriots. And, you know, the, the Chargers might try, but they also might have to adjust very quickly. And like you said, their, their linebacker depth is weak. Uh, even the guys that they, they do have left on the roster definitely aren't, you know, very uh, exceptional players. So if the Patriots can force the Chargers to put those linebackers on the field, I think that really is kind of a strength for the Patriots. But regardless of how the, the Chargers align, I think that, the Patriots might have the pieces to combat it with, with an opposing offense. And, you know, the passing game really did struggle basically from the second half against the Dolphins all the way up until the end of that, that win over the Bills. But that Week 17 game against the, the, um, the Jets showed enough glimmers that I think the Patriots' passing attack might possibly be back to normal this week against the Chargers. Obviously, you don't know until we actually see the game, but I think that they can combat whatever the Chargers come out with, with either a passing attack or running attack. And I think that that is maybe the strength of the Patriots offense at this point, that they are balanced. How much confidence do you have Philip in Philip Dorsett and Chris Hogan to step up and support um, Julian Edelman and, you know, maybe not a completely full-strength Gronk? It's a good question. I mean, they, they certainly like to get against the Jets, but, you know, even going back to that Jets game, I think the Jets were without their, their top three cornerbacks in that Correct. game. So it was certainly easier for Dorsett and Hogan to get open in that game. But it's not as if we haven't seen Dorsett and Hogan uh, have big games or have you know, no productive games against good cornerbacks. I think that one key play in this game, too, is just going to be Cordero Patterson. He didn't play in Week 17. Uh, he's He's been a very minor part of the offense. He's only played, I think, 200 offensive snaps. That's out of over 1,000 for the Patriots. But the Patriots utilize him very well when he's on the field. I think he averages two yards per snap, which is definitely way higher uh, than, than most wide receivers, certainly. Um, and he, he's been very effective as a running back. He was actually the Patriots' most elusive running back this season. And Tom Brady had a 141 passer rating while targeting Cordero Patterson. So, uh, you know, good things seem to happen when the Patriots were getting Patterson involved. I don't think he's going to be a full-time player in this game, but even if they can get him on the field for 20 or 30 snaps coming off that knee injury he suffered in Week 16, I think that he has the ability to make big plays in this game. Speaking with the terrific Patriots beat writer for Nesson and Nesson.com, Doug Kide. All right, let's move to the other side of the ball, Doug. Philip Rivers is 37 years of age, and his ACL is actually intact this year, <laughs> unlike his last playoff appearance at Gillette. That was, of course, the uh, 2007 AFC Championship in January of 08, of course. And, you know, even Rodney Harrison on the NBC broadcast of the Bears-Eagles game was uh, talking about how when he was on the field against Rivers in that 07 championship game, he was just impressed with his toughness. But that's 11 years ago. What do you think Philip Rivers has left in the tank to give in this game? I mean, I think he looks, you know, he looks recharged this season, if anything. Um, I do worry a little bit about the weather as far as Philip Rivers' performance goes. It is supposed to be cold that game. I think it's going to be like 28 degrees. Right. If anything, Rivers is, is lucky that the game is being played at 1 o'clock 
schmuck rather than it being one of those, you know, Saturday night games. Um, but I do wonder if some of those throws that he made against the Ravens, uh, many of which were of the shorter variety, do start to flutter a little bit in the cold, if there's wind, if there's snow, if there's any sort of precipitation. I do wonder how he's going to perform, um, you know, if, if it really is as cold as it's currently predicted. Otherwise, I think he's having a really good season. I think that, you know, like I said, he looks pretty much as good as ever this year. Um, and this postseason is just kind of really important for his legacy in general because you're, you're talking about a guy who's kind of a fringe Hall of Famer right now, but if he can string together an impressive postseason, if he can get to the Super Bowl, if he can win a, win a Super Bowl, then you're, you're pretty much talking about a, a surefire Hall of Famer. But um, I'm, I'm excited to watch him in this game, though. I think it's, it's going to be a fun battle. I know that the quarterbacks don't take the field at the same time, but you don't get many of these big-time quarterback matchups. I agree, and uh, really what impressed me last week about Phillip Rivers and in the game at Kansas City, which I think everybody in the world uh, came out, th- came away thinking that Phillip Rivers is a big-time quarterback in, when the pressure is on. He's not afraid of the big moment, and that's the kind of quarterback to me and the kind of leader you have to have on the field uh, directing your group if you expect to beat the Patriots at Gillette Stadium in the postseason. That doesn't mean you can't make Phillip Rivers uh, throw the ball into double and triple teams. He does do that, and I think you can force him into mistakes. But Phillip Rivers, to me, uh, is truly fearless. And I think he showed that last week uh, in Baltimore, uh, especially in a couple of third-quarter drives. He really, I mean, that game was really never in doubt. I know Lamar Jackson put together a couple of drives late, uh, kind of ad-libbing on the run and what have you and getting out of the pocket. But I thought Philip Rivers did a terrific job of really controlling uh, that game last week. Yeah, he did. I think it's it's kind of funny that you know, so many people were afraid of the Ravens. So many Patriots fans were afraid of the Ravens coming to Foxborough when, I mean, I was looking at that team and thinking, you don't want a rookie quarterback coming to Foxborough? Have you seen their, their, right. their record against rookie quarterbacks at Gillette Stadium? Uh, I think it's, it's definitely a different story when you've got a guy like Philip Rivers coming into Gillette Stadium versus, you know, a rookie quarterback like Lamar Jackson. So, no, I mean, I agree. I think that that is what you need uh, to play against the Patriots in the playoffs, especially on the road. And, you know, it, it'll certainly be interesting to see how he does hold up in that game. Um, but I think that, you know, one other thing to, to say about Rivers is that he definitely started the season extremely hot. His, his production did start to tail down a little bit towards the end of the season. Somewhat similar uh, to Tom Brady, where his stats kind of dropped off a little bit. But uh, I thought he looked good in that Ravens game. He didn't put up massive stats, but I think that he, he definitely managed the game well, and obviously they came out with a playoff win, which is not easy to do against, against the defense as good as the Ravens. What about Melvin Gordon? Um, obviously the reports are out from uh, both Adam Schefter and Ian Rappaport that he's going to be playing uh, with a very mildly sprained knee. Uh, both of his knees are actually pretty dinged up. He, he uh, injured his left knee in the uh, win over the Ravens on Sunday after uh, ding- coming into the game with a injured right knee. So uh, Melvin Gordon, two knee braces, uh, that going to slow him down? I think it definitely could. I, I, doesn't this kind of feel like one of those games where, you know, Melvin Gordon takes the field for the first snap, 
kind of limps off the field and then you don't see him again, kind of like it was a Le'Veon a Bell. Years ago with Le'Veon Bell. Yep. Yeah. It just, it feels like one of those games. And if it is, then, uh, you know, everyone's going to be talking about uh, if the Patriots win, going into the AFC Championship game of, oh, they got lucky, Melvin Gordon didn't play the whole game, blah, blah, blah. I mean, it's definitely not a good situation for the Chargers to be in heading into this game, especially like I was saying, uh, with the cold. Could be slippery on the field. If there's snow, that's definitely not a good situation coming in with two injured knees. It just feels like he's he's probably not going to be overly effective in this game, or at least that's certainly what the Patriots are hoping for. Because if Gordon's not effective, then they they can come out with those you know six or seven defensive back sets and then really stack it up against the the Chargers passing game uh, rather than having to worry about their. Uh, really balanced offense. It's one thing about the Chargers that they're actually very balanced overall. They've got a good passing attack, good rushing attack, good against uh, good against the run and good against the pass. But if they can, you know, neutralize one side of that, and if Gordon isn't going to be fully healthy, then they can really start to shift their focus a lot more towards Rivers and their their big tall uh, wide receivers in there. Speaking of ACLs and MCLs, um, the Chargers uh, activated their terrific third year tight end. Hunter Henry this week, um, he tore his eighth, this is remarkable, Doug. He tore his ACL on May 22nd, and he's back on the field eligible to play this weekend. It's pretty uh, hard for me or anybody to imagine that he would have a significant impact, although Bill uh, Belichick in his Monday conference call said, you know, he's just another brick on the pile we have to prepare for. Uh, how, much, how much masonry work are they really putting in on Hunter Henry? It is amazing. We were trying to do the math in the media workroom the other day, and it's basically like a player tearing his ACL in the Super Bowl and then being back for week one. And putting it in the perspective of, of May to January makes it seem even more amazing. It might even be a shorter timeline, May to January. I don't know, bad at math and calendars and all that sort it's of thing. It's eight weeks so it's and fine in writing. it's eight months and a week. Okay, so yeah, I mean, that's that's unbelievable. Um, the Patriots have been shaky against tight ends, so even if he can get out there for 20, 30 snaps, you know, it's certainly possible that he goes out there and, and gets a touchdown over Patrick Chung or Devin McCourty. I will say that Sean had Chung and McCourty both had cheeky spurts early in the season. Both guys really kind of came back and were playing at kind of a vintage level near the end of the season. So the Patriots have to hope that that, that week off of the bye didn't, you know, disrupt anything there and that they can continue those strong performances because – you know, looking at this Chargers team when it was just Virgil Green and Antonio Gates, didn't seem too intimidating at tight end, but if you throw Hunter Henry into the mix for a few snaps, uh, things could get a little bit dicey. So Chong and McCordy and maybe some of the linebackers definitely have to be on their A game, you know, not knowing how Henry is going to look coming back from that ACL injury. Do you remember January 14th, 2007? Oh, I'm sure I do. Uh, but, you know why I'm asking? Know, was that the Rivers ACL game? That no, that was the year before. That oh, yeah, was yeah. the Marlon McCree Troy Brown game, and I really oh. I enjoyed writing about this on Tuesday, uh, Doug, and you know asked Bill about uh, you know the Eagles Bears game and why you never give up on a play, especially right. come playoff time. And uh, you weren't covering the team back then, were you? I'm just curious. No, I was not. No. Okay, but. Uh, you know, everybody knows the story 
of, you know, that fourth down pass over the middle was picked off by Marlon McCree. It really should have been the end of the game with about six minutes to go. Uh, Brady might have gotten another shot. Who knows? But uh, at that point, the Patriots were down 21-13. to McCree doesn't get right to the ground. He runs around a little bit. Troy Brown forces the fumble. Uh, Rache Caldwell recovers, and the rest is history. Uh, Patriots come back and win it 24-21. And I, I'm just curious if, if you know, and Philip Rivers was the quarterback in that game. Um, if you think a game like that still sticks in the craw of Philip Rivers, I think it has to. Yeah, I mean, you would certainly think so. It's, uh, you know, it, it is funny that we look at, you know, how the Chargers have fared against the Patriots over the years, how the Patriots have fared against the Chargers. And most of the time, those things really don't matter because there, there's not a lot of history there. I mean, like, who cares how the, the Ravens played the Patriots in 2004, you know, something like that. But the fact that Rivers is still around from those games, I think it could stick in his craw. I'm not sure how big of a difference it'll make, but I, I certainly would not be surprised if he's thinking about, you know, all those losses that he's had against the Patriots over the years, yep. all those tough losses um, heading into this game. And like I said earlier, you know, this is this might be his last chance at the Super Bowl. The Chargers have been so up and down throughout his career, uh, they haven't been able to find the same consistency that you know, the Patriots have had with Brady, the Steelers have had with Ro- Roethlisberger, uh, the Colts had with Manning. So he really does have to take advantage of, of every time that he does get to the postseason with his team. That story again you want to uh, promote uh, that you're working on for Wednesday? Yeah, I'm, I'm writing about Cliff Kingsbury. It's funny because, you know, the NFL and everything moves so fast that when I was actually starting to write the story, it was about how, you know, how he fit as a potential offensive coordinator for the Patriots. Obviously, the tables are turned now, and, and now you're talking about him as the head coach of the Arizona Cardinals. So um, I did talk to a, a former Patriot who was around Kingsbury. Uh, during that 2003 season just to see if there were any signs that he could become a future head coach. Again, I want to thank everybody for downloading today's podcast. I want to thank our terrific guest, Doug Kide, the outstanding writer covering the Patriots and the NFL uh, for Nesson and Nesson.com. You can follow him on Twitter at D-O-U-G-K-Y-E-D. That's Doug Kide. For producer Michael Angie and the founder of the network, Nick Gelso, this is Mike Petralia, and this has been the Patriots Beat Podcast, powered by CLNS Media. Hello, I'm Dan Lothian, host of the Behind the Media Podcast on the CLNS Media Network. Along with Jimmy Young, we dive into the biggest media headlines each week with honest, informed, and sometimes irreverent perspectives. It's not all serious. We deliver information and entertainment. As we like to say on Behind the Media, we find the interesting in media so you don't have to go searching for it. Listen to our podcast and get prepped for the next trip to the water cooler. Subscribe to Behind the Media wherever you get your podcast or find us on www.clnsmedia.com.